0: From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run as Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 768, Securing Teams with guest Tobias Zimmergren. Recorded Monday, February 22nd, 2021. Run as Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio.
1: Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Tobias Zimmergren, who is the head of technical operations at Rencore, responsible for strategy planning and implementation of anything around their technical and cloud operations. And back in 2008, Tobias received the Microsoft MVP award and has been consecutively renewed every year since so far. And he's also the co-host of the Control-Alt-Azure podcast and writes a technical blog that I read religiously. Uh, welcome to the show for the first time, Tobias. Thank you for coming on.
0: Wow! Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. <laughs> you know, like you, you took me way back here with 2008, yeah. and the Microsoft MVP award. You know, I, I remember that as it was yesterday. Uh, still super humble about it.
1: And so you got the two blue rings now, right? Like you've got the two thousand, you've got the five year and the ten year rings now for your for your MVP rack.
0: Yep. So I, I think I've got two or three more years, and then. If I manage to still stay in the program, I will get the the next fifteen years, year year which range. is kind of cool. Yeah, but I mean, the, the biggest accomplishment, you know, as of late, is joining this podcast. I've, I've listened to <laughs> to this for a while, and I've always thought, wow, you know, that the content you guys produce and the things you do talk about, it's you know, rock stars. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting here talking with you, and you know, I'm starstruck. So thanks for having me.
1: Oh, that's that's sweet. Well, you know, you're making all the same things, man. I I just happen to get in early and be fairly persistent. Uh, And I'm really grateful for this post you did on securing teams. It was one of those things that the moment I read it. It's like, why hasn't anybody talked about this before? Like, there's a lot to know.
0: Yeah. Um, And so I. I had this idea because I work with this and I work with Azure a lot and I work with rolling out teams in our own organization and, you know, securing these things and, you know, worked a lot with security in Azure on this side. And I see, everyone talk about rolling out teams. And the last year was unprecedented in the growth. Oh, crazy. Rolling out work from home solutions, including Microsoft Teams. And I keep seeing how easy it is to roll it out. And then organizations say, we have so many things. We have no idea. Uh, We have teams, I think. And then the, you know, proliferation, if you will, of groups and teams and channels and chats and everything just grows. And all of a sudden you stand there thinking, how did we get to this point where we have all of this information available to everyone who's signed in? Right? Because this is a very common question. Sure. I'm now signed in, but I can see the data and the discussions in the channels from this team over here, which you know, they're the legal department. I'm not supposed to see that. Why do I do yeah, that? Yeah, that's really interesting. And this is kind of the, the angle I wanted to play. So I so I took Something that I think is a fairly complex topic, because just the, the title here, Securing Microsoft Teams, is very broad. Mm-hmm. And it's about like securing the collaboration experience, compliance, security, and there's a lot more. But these are kind of the three things I wanted to boil down from this complex or maybe difficult to comprehend dialogue into something tangible. Um, so I just wrote that post. Because
1: I think a lot of folks look at the security of Teams and go, well, it's in Office 365. We've enabled MFA, so I'm secure,
0: right? Yeah. And and I've had a lot of discussions around this. And a lot of people understand, uh, you know, the, the security... Um, what you do, the compliance um, requirements that Microsoft have on them as well, mm-hmm. because Microsoft Teams is certified, you know, by a bunch of standards yeah. and your data is encrypted at risk. Yeah. It's encrypted in transit over SSL and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's encryption, there's security, but there's no built in configuration telling you that your organization's HR department cannot share data with your organization's legal department or whatever it sure. is you know, whatever kind of barriers you need to have inside of your organization.
1: Well, and even it's not just sharing, you know, sharing sounds like intent that I mean to move data somewhere. But, you know, to your point right off the bat, there was the bottom line is at the default configuration, I can go to the legal chats and see chats about the separation of an employee or stuff that's genuinely sensitive, unless somebody's actually configured that properly.
0: Yeah. And I I see this happening with some of the organizations I talk to, I see this, and it's not because people are not aware. Uh, you know, sometimes it's about them not being aware that you can or should configure policies or set things up a certain mm-hmm. way. But most of the time, uh, these dialogues now come as a result of last year's you know super explosive increase in Teams adoption. Yes, there's so many new organizations rolling it out and rolling it out quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not resources, there's not human resources or capacity to kind of make this long-term plan for how to roll it out. Everyone is working from home right now, as of this moment, how do we get work from home capabilities across our entire organization? Well, the answer to a lot was my
1: It is certainly a theme I heard over and over again with IT people was, I just got it to work and then I had to move to the next fire. like governance yep. comes later I mean there's always a yes. case for I need to see how people use this before I know where to put the barriers up too but I hoping folks actually cycle into the governance like do you get time to to put on the tinfoil hat and take a look around and say are we doing the right things here
0: yeah so you know what I usually say is as long as there hasn't been a security incident mm-hmm. it's never too late and even if you have had an incident it's not too late yeah you know wherever you you are in your phase right now of, of you know, tightening the security or increasing your security posture. It's never too late to accelerate that. Right. Put effort into that. And it does not require much to get started. It just requires that you get started. Right. You don't have to have a full plan for configuring all the security options and locking everything in this ship down just get started.
1: Well, and I also, I got to imagine this is an iterative process too. Like you're not going to get it right the first time. The company is going to change. This is going to be to be revisited on a regular
0: basis. Yes. Um, and, and I like that you bring that up because it's not a one-off yeah. where you kind of make the, the stint effort and then everything is, you know, configuring, you kind of touch it up. No, no. It's, it's like building a product mm-hmm. in a product house. You know, it continuously evolves. There is not a start and a stop. There is just you know, this continuous momentum that you kind of have to adjust to. New features going to roll out. New departments going to have new requirements. All these kind of things have to kind of go hand in hand uh, as you configure it. So you don't need to have like a team security expert doing this on a daily right. basis. But the IT department needs to understand what they can do, but also the power users. Because a lot of the things line the control of, you know, the power users when it comes to uh, meetings, when you set up meetings or a web conference or things like that? Do you allow people to share their screen? Do you invite anyone? Mm -hmm. You know, can they invite people? What kind of policies do you set up?
1: And I think the collaboration part of this, because it's it's really it's the new part of Teams. Like we've always had data retention issues and data distribution issues and securing access and so forth. But this is the first product I think we're really seeing big levels of collaboration from, you know, depending on your organization, of course. Uh, And that's what we haven't calibrated is, you know, what are the restrictions that should be around collaboration? Because for the most part, you kind of want to leave it open and see what people do. But I clearly, there are areas in the company, board meetings, HR conversations, legal conversations where, yeah, I want those folks to use those tools, but it probably shouldn't be accessible to the rest of the company
0: yeah exactly that. And uh, exactly what you say as well, it's it's about collaboration being you know the new thing we need to think about security with. Mm-hmm. We did not always do that because when when I wrote, for example, this blog post that you mentioned earlier, I, I had collaboration experience, uh, I had compliance. I had security. And a lot of people think securing Microsoft teams, that's about the security configuration like MFA. Yeah ensuring that the passwords, ensuring you can only sign in from specific locations with conditional access and stuff like that. And that's important too. But there's another aspect that's super important and that's you're already authenticated. As a user in my organization, I'm already signed in. I am, you know, securely logged in with my secure laptop, which is, you know, secured by maybe Microsoft Intune, right. which is rolled out in the organization. I'm using all the secure devices. Doesn't mean that everything is secure mm. because security in this sense also means how do we share data inside the organization and outside? right so This is not just about configuring guest access or external access, but like do you have barriers, information barriers between your teams? If you have an organization with 25,000 employees or 100,000 or 200,000 or whatever, it's going to be impossible if you just kind of roll out Microsoft Teams and go with the flow right? Because you will have no control over who gets access to what information. So it's super important to take a look at these things, not just security from the outside like hackers, but security from the inside. How do we ensure that our employees are can work safely and confidently? So we give them the controls that they need at their fingertips, not to be afraid to collaborate. Because this has been a hot topic in the past, you know, there came more and more rules about what you could and could not do, but the user had to keep this in mind. Like, you cannot go here and you cannot do this and you cannot share, but we can control all of this with policy. Interesting. Right. So if we set them up, we can just tell the employees, you know what? You have teams, you sign in, whatever you see here, you can do. Right. Right. So don't be afraid to use the tools. You don't, you
1: don't, you don't want them to have to think about this. It's like no. you, you want the tool to tell them when they've pressed against the line.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and you said the word policy, so I immediately think about Windows group policy. But I don't think that's what you're talking about when you say policy.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I wish. <laughs> uh, so so policies in this uh, in this area can be, uh, you know, different things. And there's um, things around uh, guest access and external access. Right. Which I think most people heard about. Like you have the guest user, or external users, you can grant different type of control an access for people who's not in your organization.
1: Yeah. And that seems like an obvious one and is an overall company policy. Like IT can pretty much mandate this is the limit of what externals can do.
0: Yeah. Um and I mean this is probably, I would say, at least in my experience, this is where people go first. Yeah. Like I need to kind of secure teams. So let's take a look at external access and guest access. You know, do we have it enabled or disabled? And if it is enabled, what do we allow? Uh, which is one thing. But Like when I mentioned policies, we have something called, for example, um, information barriers. Mm -hmm. And I think this exists for Teams, OneDrive and SharePoint. Uh, So it's not just for Microsoft Teams. So if you do use Microsoft 365, you can use it for other things. Uh, And that's essentially policies we can make use to uh, prevent users or groups from communicating with uh, one another. Mm. So that can be useful uh, and also important to understand because it can quickly help uh, maintain the information governance in the organization. Kind of like we just talked about, you have this organization with 50,000 people, but how do you ensure that these different groups of users can talk or cannot talk to one another?
1: Right. I mean, you got to limit what they can share, right? Like you, yeah. on one hand it's sort of, it seems silly. They can't talk to each other. It's like, no, that's might not be true, but what are, what's appropriate to share? You do not want HR able to, you know, drop a payroll spreadsheet on anybody. Yep. But maybe somebody, like between two payroll HR people, yeah, the spreadsheet needs to move around. But that's kind of the limit of it.
0: Yep. And and I've seen, you know, big organizations, they have manufacturing plants and they do a lot of research and development mm-hmm. and stuff like this. And what I've seen seems to be important for these organizations is their R&D team, they are working on prototypes that have patent pending and they are going to file for patents right. that they haven't done yet. Stuff like that, you know, which can change the future of the company if that gets into the wrong hands sure. and change the future of the company, perhaps not for the better. Um, so with that in mind, you know, thinking about this kind of sensitive data, it makes total sense to set these things up. It's not about restricting collaboration. Quite the contrary, because. The R&D groups in these companies are pretty big, you, you know, most of the time are big enough to have a great collaboration experience, but they are never afraid that whatever they are doing now will be shared accidentally with someone else right. because they have these policies in place. So they can, when they try to share a file, for example, hey, I want to share this with Tobias over here in the tech uh, technical operations team, you're going to get a message saying, you know, due to privacy rules set by your admin, some information is hidden or If you're trying to join a call uh, that the R&D team is having, like their daily stand-up, and you're not allowed to do that, you will get a message saying, sorry, your company policy prevents you from joining this call. So you can kind of set these things up, but you just have to be aware of it.
1: Sure. And it does sort of leave a prompt like, you can go ask for this privilege. It's not broken. It's not an error. It's like, you know, you you have to have that privilege because you do want that R&T team to be able to collaborate.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: But you don't want them to have to think about, is anybody in this call not allowed to be here? It's like if you're in the call, it's because you're allowed to be here so we can talk freely.
0: Yeah. And if you have a call with four people and you know everyone, that might be easy to kind of control in organizations with a lot of people. This is impossible to control. There, there's no way to have this open.
1: Yeah, you can't know all the names. Well, and often you want senior leadership to be able to drop in on a on an R and D call, which they may or may not know them directly anyway. Yeah. But I, what I, the last thing I want is someone discussing someone to have that hesitation, of, you know, am I allowed to talk here? Like that's just, I want the tool to do that for me. That's too much weight on someone's mind to worry about that. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So I can get to that level of governance then that I can absolutely say these are the team members and they're the only ones who are allowed in this unless you have this exemption of some kind.
0: Yeah, and then this is pretty much what information barriers does for us. Mm-hmm. So we can so we can configure them and tailor you know the policies for according to that, because a user can be a member of more than one group. Right. So if this group this policy applies to group A and and this user is part of you know, more than one group, you can kind of ensure that you, you get the re- right level of access and, and things like that, which is pretty cool. Is
1: Active Directory required for information barriers? Like, is that that a part of it?
0: Uh, that's a great question. I don't know from the top of my head okay. because most organizations that I work with have, you know, um, AD AAD, uh, P2 right. licenses. So the, the, Expensive license, if you want to put it that way.
1: Yeah, but I would presume because you can't operate Office 365 without Azure AD. It's, even if you haven't paid for any of the high ones, you're still using it. It just works. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a given. But I'm sure there's limits if you don't have the tier two. There always there always is, and they're kind of na they're kind of nasty surprises.
0: There there's gonna be there's gonna be, and and uh, you know that you bring up a good point. Maybe that's something I can elaborate later, also in the blog mm-hmm. post, because I listed all the things you know, that are built into the platforms you can use to kind of secure your experience with Microsoft Teams. But I didn't list what license you need, because some of those things does need a license, which is higher than the standard tier.
1: Sure. And you get and you get teams on virtually every Office 365. right? But depending on which one you have, you may or may not have certain features. The number of people I've talked to who are just so frustrated with the Azure AD tiering. Like, it seems counterproductive to Microsoft. You don't need to make money here. Make money on consumption, not on, on the seats in this yeah. case. Give. Why would you restrict yeah. security by money? It seems incredibly foolish. Make people more secure. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Um, I don't know if there's a reason. Maybe there are reasons for it. But I, I agree. If it's a security feature, something that helps your users in your service or product stay safe, Roll it out.
1: Yeah, do it. Give it to everyone. Yeah. And Tobias, I want to interrupt yeah. for one moment for this very important message. You've got Microsoft Teams, but not a lot of ways of managing it. Don't panic. You've got Policy Pack. Policy Pack can instantly enable you to manage the key Microsoft Teams settings that's driving you and your users bonkers. Manage Team settings like auto start application and open in background, on close keep the application running, and register Teams as a chat app and more. Want to see it in action? That's a no-brainer. Come to policypack.com/teams for a super quick demo. That's policypack.com/teams. But don't stop there. Use PolicyPack to manage and secure the files that users transmit within Teams with PolicyPack Secure Run. Don't let one bad file mean you have to figure out how to pay millions in ransomware. Use PolicyPack Secure Run to stop ransomware that can spread through Teams files just like that. Learn more about all these solutions at PolicyPack.com. PolicyPack, securing your standards. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell, and that's Tobias Zimmergren And we're talking a little about securing teams, specifically the sort of internal security, which I think is an area organizationally we struggle with a lot, that we always think about the barrier, the external security. We, we don't think a lot about the sort of internal security. Uh, Do you see issues, I mean, you're you're in Sweden, so I think GDPR applies to you?
0: Yep. Yes, it does.
1: So there's a whole bunch of compliance rules, like there's data flowing inside of teams that would fall under GDPR purview and other requirements, I'm sure.
0: Um, We we do get a lot of discussions around that. Mm Mm-hmm. So with Microsoft Teams, there's two things that come to mind when you when you ask that question. One is data sovereignty. Right. You know, first of all, where's my data located? Yes. What data center do I belong to? You know, am I in Europe? Am I in the US? Where am I? Because uh, that's number one to understanding uh, where the data goes and how it flows. Uh, but like you mentioned, for the GDPR or any of those data protection laws mm-hmm. for, for any country really uh, dictates that anyone... Who may or may not have contact with your organization, might exist in the email list, or might exist in your internal CRM systems, whatever. They can send you a, a subject request or a subject data request and say, you know what? I want you to uh, show me a report of all the records you have on me or delete me from all of your systems and send me the proof. Right. To draw the hard line. And we generally look at that from a
1: customer perspective. But... This gets really interesting when you think in terms of a former employee or an external vendor that may be participating in some Teams calls and things as an external, they still have those same privileges.
0: Yeah. Yes, of course, because it's individual rights. Right. It's not about where you work yeah. or if you're at this company or somewhere else. It's about your right as a person residing, um, in this case, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, in Microsoft Teams, you have uh, something that also comes to mind, which is e-discovery uh, that you have in Microsoft 365, right. where you can kind of create due di- diligence, um, inquiry uh, um, filters, and and create, um how do you call them, e-discovery cases, right. I think you call them, in the core e-discovery features. Um, and that pretty much uh, makes it possible to search through content in various areas like… Exchange Online Mailboxes, 365 Groups, Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, OneDrive, Skype for Business, Yammer, you know, all these kind of things. Because
1: folks always think eDiscovery, you think Exchange. Like, if you've been in this for a while, the eDiscovery module first appeared in Exchange before Office 365. Like, like
0: everything always first appeared in Exchange, right?
1: Yeah, All the things (laughs) in email, right? (laughs) All the AD integration, all of that stuff. But, (laughs) like you said, eDiscovery represents communication Period, so that is yep. SharePoint, Yammer, Skype, you know, heaven knows, yeah, Yeah. and certainly Teams.
0: Yeah, what I what I like with eDiscovery for Microsoft Teams now, uh, and and that you have this capability because we're talking specifically about Microsoft Teams is you can create your holds, you can search for content, mm-hmm. you can export data, or, or you know any other related actions are fairly straightforward from the UI. Uh, but it does usually require some effort to understand, you know, what we need to discover and how to identify mm-hmm. it. But if you do, for example, get one of these requesting, saying, hey, you know what, uh, get me all the data about me in your systems, you know, this might be one of those angles you can take a look yeah, at. Yeah, it's
1: interesting to think um, about e-discovery that way, that it's also a tool for you to understand what certain users may have done inside of the organization.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, if you have the tools enabled, you have the data there. Yeah. And if you do have the requirements to pull this data out, this is one way to do mm-hmm. that. Um, so you can, like, run a search. You can do keyword queries. You can see the statistics about the the queries. You can export the search for you can do all kinds of things. Uh, but, you know, that's, a, that's an entire episode by itself to, to talk about e-discovery.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking exactly that. It's like e-discovery is a show. Like all by itself, maybe (laughs) more than one, just because it is such a broad, Uh, I mean, I always think about it in the legal context, but I think in general, internal security and governance, it's a useful tool just you know, that you can use to uh, have some understanding of what's going on inside of your organization. Yeah. So far, we've really only talked about good actors, like folks inside of the company trying to do the right thing. What about the bad actor scenario? An internal, you know, we talk about data theft from internal employees. Also, I mean, intentional, unintentional. Like, I'm just going to take some work home, but that's a, you know, violation of policy because you've taken data out of the system. Are there is there tooling for that?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I like that question because there is one answer to that which will hit the home run, and that's DLP or data loss prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, this existed, again, Exchange, <laughs> right, came you know into the game early here, and there's there's been DLP or data loss prevention for SharePoint, Exchange, and OneDrive, and now you have Team chats and channel messages. So if you have rolled out Teams, you can now make use of DLP with Microsoft Teams, um, and that's another way to protect data in the organization because here you can again define different types of policies. That kind of prevents users to share this sensitive information. So if someone is uh, chatting about it or writing in a channel or uh, trying to share some data that contains perhaps PII Mm -hmm. or some, something that you have deemed classified as, you know, this should not be shared. This should not be the organization, whatever. Then, you know, data loss prevention now exists for Microsoft teams.
1: Interesting. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, so, And I think about the sort of classic one is you've made a local, a little mailing list out of a spreadsheet that has PII in it and you pass it around. Like that's yeah. in many organizations, that's just against the rules. Like you don't do that.
0: Yeah. And what I like about this is kind of what we talked about before with the information barriers. Mm-hmm. When you hit one of those barriers, it's not just, you know, error message one, two, three, four or five. Now then you get a message saying, you know, this is, a policy by your by your administrator yeah so you know this is something that has been delivered to, uh, delivered to blocked and the same thing applies with the dlp you will get a message saying you know from your admin or from from whoever you know this message was blocked because your message contains a social security number right. or some kind of pii or whatever you have classified or whatever your policies dictate should not be shared You will get an error message or a message saying that this message has been blocked. And then you kind of get guidance. What can I do about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, And I like that it's discreet from an error message, like that it is. This is a policy message. Yeah. Yeah. This is not that something's broken. This is by intent. And can you add to that? Like, it's like you should talk to or, you know, here's where you learn more about like how much control do you have over that message?
0: Uh, we never changed right. it um so I don't know if you can actually modify the the content of it um maybe there's a way yeah. um, but I, I will I will loop you back on that one when I haven't asked that's yeah, a
1: good it's a good question but I mean the bottom line is they'll they'll open a ticket ultimately saying hey yeah. I want to yeah. do this thing why can't I do this thing
0: yeah and and so the thing is um you can open a ticket the default way but what I really like about this is you know in this message, that appears mm. there's a link and it says what can i do right right and you click that and of course that message or that link title might have in my opinion should have been slightly different so it indicates that this is actually going to open up a dialogue where you can make a decision because that's what it does whereas when i read it what can i do that's a link it will probably take me to support.microsoft.com to a random website with you know some helpful helpful information what it does do, though, is it will give you a dialogue, right? And that provides uh, options for you, as the sender of this message, to kind of resolve the issue hmm. right there in front of you. So you don't have have to support the so ticket. don't open a ticket. Uh, so exactly. So so then. It will say, "Well, your message was blocked because it contains sensitive data. Maybe that was a social security number. Maybe it was, yeah, whatever you had. It have. might have been
1: an accident, right? You you meant to remove that, and you missed one.
0: Could have been, yeah. And then you get options, and I think today the options are still two options, and it's override and send. And then you have to type a justification. So then you can send this message, hmm. you know, if if that's what your policy dictates, and say, this is by intention." we have already agreed in the steering group meeting that this document needs to be shared with right. whatever stakeholder on the outside. Cool. That's our justification, override and send. And then you confirm because that's going to have your name on right. it saying, I just did an override. I have a justification and I hit send.
1: Now, is it actually a send at that point or does it now go through some other process? Like, did somebody else validate it? Like, what happens next?
0: So, I So, I think what happens is it actually sends, but you can see the reports and insights in the DLP. Right. So you can see everything on, on the admin side. And, and then the the other option. So if one is override and send, the other option is report this to my admin. It doesn't contain sensitive data. So it's like a false positive. Right. So when you get a message saying, well, you have, you know, social security number, but maybe it was just your Bitcoin address or what do I know what you are sending? Right. Um, you know, something that might have been uh, interpreted. As something sensitive that has been classified as sensitive in the organization, but it actually was not. Then you can say, you know, send a report uh, explicitly with this message because this does not contain right. sensitive data. And that tells me as an admin or our team that we will get this report. And now we understand that we need to improve, uh, you know, the rules we have right. and the policies because we're blocking normal messages or messages that does not contain what we thought they would contain. Yeah. And this is a way kind of to have users collaborate in building these policies. Because if everyone was submitting a ticket, it would go to the help desk, it would land there, it would be you know prioritized, then sent over to IT, we had to review this way, it goes straight into DLP, we can take a look and we can adjust. It's super Interesting. cool. So
1: how do you see that then? You're at the DLP console and there's like false positive list? What do you, what do you see? Yeah,
0: so it's uh, it's not like a false positive, but it, yeah, you can uh, you can take a look at that, like in the reports mm-hmm. and the audit logs, I believe. And yeah, take whatever action you need uh, when you understand it. So in the end, it's like to break it down, it's you report this and it will land in your in the knee of your admin. Sure, and and under
1: DLP too. So clearly, it's only you yeah, know yeah. You, you, rather than going through the regular ticket pipeline where it has to get sorted. This is going directly to DLP it was a DLP issue so you're short-circuiting a lot of wasted time to go okay yeah. somebody's got yeah. somebody is protesting DLP's actions here
0: yes and you asked me a question maybe 2 minutes ago mm-hmm. whether you could customize the DLP dialogue and I recall that now yeah there is a way and I don't recall exactly the name of that but it's something like customize your policy tips right something like that and then you can customize the message nice uh, so, there is a way to uh, to do that. I
1: can understand why you haven't needed to, because if you have the option to say back to DLP, this was wrong, it shouldn't have been blocked, or this is an override, continue anyway. Like, you've kind of got all the options you need. Yeah. So, it...
0: Yeah, no, we, we normally don't customize any of that. It's like, if, if the default message is, this contains sensitive data mm-hmm. or sensitive info, that's good enough for me.
1: Yeah. And, you, and it's only you know, it's either a mistake. I'll fix it and try again. It's okay. Send it anyway, or you're wrong. Those are the only choices, really, and you handle the ball,
0: yep, yep. Uh, so I, so I like it. And I mean, again, we could we haven't talked in detail about how where do we find DLP. How do we get started? Where is it? What do I define with my policies? What are best practices? You know, again, an entire show or a show series just about that.
1: So it's so a whole show, and one we've done right. I mean, we have talked about data loss prevention on its own. Although, admittedly, I mean, every week new features come out, right? Like it's a race to try and keep up with oh, all yeah. of the feature sets. But uh, yeah. and we and we can we can certainly revisit that again. Uh, but I've included a link in the show notes. It's like here's Office 365 data loss protection. So if you're not using this, I think the more important point is it's not just around USB drives, OneDrive. It's also Teams because data gets passed around in teams. Yep. So it's it. Yes, it it's, does. it's a constant part of the process. I almost feel like we've just gotten started on this blog post here, Tobias, a half an hour in. Uh, what are some other <laughs> thoughts, like things that in general we should be thinking about in terms of securing teams well? Have we have we missed any important bits?
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, a lot. <laughs> but as you say, like we're already about 30 minutes in and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be Uh, ranting about all these different kind of cool things you can uh, take a look at. But there are a couple of things I just want to highlight Mm -hmm. so we don't have to drill down into them. Uh, One is enable ATP or advanced threat protection. That is a super valid tip. You should do that. Um, You just go to Office 365, security and compliance, uh, threat management, policy, global settings. And from there, you can turn on And and today, the ATP is called Defender for Office 365 for SharePoint, OneDrive, and Microsoft Teams.
1: And there is – this also depends on the account level you have as to what ATP you can get. And I've certainly heard raging IT people about that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But Microsoft Defender for uh, 365.
0: Yeah, because the other setting that you do for ATP is you turn on Safe Documents for Office Clients. And that is only available. I know this is only available to E5 or Microsoft 365 E5 security licenses. Uh, So there are license differences, of course. Unfortunately, I don't know all of them uh, from the top of my head. Um, Another feature to take a look at is cloud app security. And again, this is an entire episode. Mm. This is I just want to highlight that. Um From here, you can configure app discovery so you can find trending, non-compliant, or risky apps. Mm-hmm. Um, because depending on the policies you have in your organization, you might allow power users, other admins, normal users to consent to apps. And when you consent to an app... You essentially give them the permission that they list, just like when you install on your mobile phone, right. you st- install a new app. It's going to say, "Well, we also need permission to your microphone. We need to read your screen. We need access to all your messages and your email." People just click OK, you know, because <laughs> they want to <laughs> well, use the app. Because
1: really, what that says is, say OK, and you get to use the app. Say no, and you don't get to use the app.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And and the same is with a lot of AAD apps that you consent mm-hmm. to, right? oh, I want to try this thing, it's it's going to list a bunch of permissions and most people may or may not read those. I know a lot of people don't read those, especially if you're a user and you're rolling out or you rolled out something and it says, I need to read your profile, but I also need to read your email, which is a very strange one if the app is actually not an email app or relates to it. People just click OK, that's fine. But that's where um, Office 365 Cloud App Security comes into the picture. Here you can discover these apps. You can see what permission levels they have. You can audit them. You can see uh, who consented. Was it an admin? Was it a normal user? Uh, what writing does it have? What does it use super advanced permissions? So cloud, cloud app security, super important to take a look
1: Absolutely. at. Absolutely. Well, Tobias, I think we just almost just touched the tip of this. And it coincidentally, next week's show, I'm digging into Azure Purview. Which is the preview uh-huh. product of this even broader view around data governance. So yeah. you know it doesn't sound like it replaces any of these things either. It's just a yet another tier of data governance. So yeah. it's interesting that we've ended up here that this is this is a ultimately a data governance conversation.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, it is in, in the end. Yeah, yeah,
1: but an interesting one. And I highly recommend everyone read the blog post. Uh, go down this checklist. It's a bunch of things you need to think about in terms of teams. Uh, Tobias, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.